0: Okay, so you've got scripture sheets in front of you. Uh, in terms of which side is the front, the Isaiah fifty four ten that would be the front side. So we'll start there. All right. So uh, we have a lot of passages tonight for our for our big question. And so I decided instead of having everybody flip all the way over in their Bibles, just to give you a printout. That way you could look along with me at these things. That way you could have it. Uh, so the question for tonight, the question for tonight is this: How do I know I'm saved? That's the question. And before I pray, I'm going to read for us just the two Philippians passages on the first page. Philippians 1, 6, and Philippians two twelve through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, oh, sorry, I'm going to start with 1, 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the living and active word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that you've given to us. Thank you for your spirit by which we can understand. Lord, would you help us to see the assurance we have in you tonight through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we started with a costume contest, and everybody loves this time of year around Halloween because you get to dress up and you do, you know, go trick-or-treating and all that great stuff. And It's a lot of fun to put on a costume because it's something you don't normally get to wear. You get to be creative. A lot of you had very creative costumes, for sure. Um, But sometimes, I think, for some of us, it can feel like we just put on a Christian costume. We go to church, or we go to RYF, or we just kind of put on the Christian costume, so to speak. We we ask ourselves the question, is this really me? Uh, How can I be sure this is me? What if I don't believe enough, right? Right? Am I just putting on this Christian costume? Is this not really who I am? And I think these questions, for all of us, raise doubts, raise fear, raise anxiety, make us wonder a lot, right? We might lose sleep over them. But these questions all kind of tie together with one big one, which is, how do I know I'm saved? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. How do I know I'm saved? And so, in order to understand this question, I have three smaller questions to help break it into parts. The first is, who is our faith in? The second is, where does our faith come from? And the third is, what does our faith do? So first, who is our faith in? Well, it's faith, and it's not faith in ourselves, right? But it's faith in God. Well, who is this God? This is the God of steadfast, unchanging love. If we look at the first two passages on the sheet, Isaiah 54.10 says, For the mountains may depart, the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And Jeremiah 32, 40 says this, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. So this is a God of steadfast love. The Bible also says that this God is actually greater than our hearts. This is what it says in 1 John 3. I'm just going to read verse 20. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. How encouraging is that? That God is greater than our hearts. There's a lot of comfort in those words. And our key is that we have faith in God and particularly faith in God in the person of Jesus who has come down, right? God who became a man. And Jesus says this, John six thirty-seven: all that the father has given to me will come to me. He's talking about people. He says, all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So he's saying all the people that the father give him to come and have salvation aren't going anywhere. They're not going to be moved. In John 10, 28 through 29, he says this. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. So a people, God has given Jesus a people to come to know him and believe in him. And if we're part of this people, if we believe, then we'll never be snatched out of his hand. There's nothing that can happen to us. This means we've got peace. This is what Romans says about our faith, Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. So by having faith, not in ourselves, but by in God and what he's done in Christ for us, we have peace. What does that mean? Well, look at our two passages here in Philippians. What is God doing? Philippians 1.6 says this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So if God is working in you, then he's going to bring his work to completion. That's going to happen. And look at Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Sometimes we feel like it's all on us, but it's actually God working in us, which is amazing, and that's comforting. And this all kind of comes down into a text here in Hebrews, at the bottom of your page, Hebrews 6, 19-20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, what does that mean? It means that because of what Jesus has done, our souls can be anchored. Our Our souls can be sure, right? Because we're not anchored in our own self, but we're anchored in him, in the faith that we have in him right? What does this mean? It means this. Because our faith is not in ourselves, because our faith is in God, and in particular, Jesus Christ and what he has done, this faithful God is not going to let us go. So we don't have to fear that God's going to wake up one day and say, yeah, I'm done with you, or I'm done with him, or I'm done with her, right? God is a steadfast God who does not change, which means he loved you then, and he loves you now, and he will love you still. And he is going to, for sure, bring his work in you into completion. I want to go back to this idea of an anchor. So how many of you, just by show of hands, have rowed a boat before? Right? It can be hard work sometimes. Right? Now imagine there is a storm, right? and you want to stay near the dock. What are you going to do? You're going to put your anchor down right? and tie yourself to the dock. You're not going to try to keep rowing just to keep yourself in place. Right? You're going to get tired, exhausted quickly, and then you're going to drift out to sea. Right? Because you need that anchor to keep you. And that's what Hebrews says. Christ is an anchor for our souls. We just sang that song. Christ the sure and steady anchor. And so when we're anchored in him, we can have confidence that he's not going to let us go. So God won't let us go, right? But then that also raises the question, well, where does faith come from? How does somebody believe? Is it just words that you and I have said, and so those are words that we can take back? How does that really work? Well, the thing about faith is the way that we believe is God changes our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And that means that believers are, have the Holy Spirit. John 3 says that we're born of the Spirit if we're believers. So where does faith come from? It comes from God, but in particular, the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's important for a few reasons. First, look back at 1 John chapter 3. I want to look at the, the last part of verse 24. It says this, And by this we know that he abides in us. Okay, by this we know that God is in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. So God has given us his spirit, and that helps us to know that we are in him. Okay, remember this idea, he who began a good work in you? We heard that earlier, right? That work is begun by God's spirit. And so if that spirit is in us, he's going to continue working in us. Jesus says elsewhere in the Bible that the spirit guides us into all truth, and that includes the truth of our assurance in him. And This is actually something we can grow in. Romans describes it this way, that God's spirit, even now, is actually crying out to you and assuring you. This is what Romans says. Back, starting the back page, it says, Romans 8, 15-17, For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Listen to this, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, listen up. The Spirit bears witness to us. How does that work? Is it just a voice that you hear? Think about this. The Spirit inspired all the words that are in this book, right? He carried along the authors and inspired them. So as we read it, that same Spirit assures us as we come to God's Word. As we read these passages about how great and unchanging God's love is, the Spirit is reassuring us, even in those words, that we are God's children. And there's another image in Scripture that it uses to talk about the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 1 and Ephesians 1. But I'm going to read both these passages for us. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Notice he calls the Spirit a guarantee. This is what Ephesians 1 says. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, so he calls it, he calls it a seal. He calls the Holy Spirit a seal or a guarantee. That's what it says. You see, how do we believe? Where does our faith come from? Faith comes from the Holy Spirit who speaks to us through God's word. Think about that idea of, sealing and the idea of guarantee. The, uh, the, the name here is also down payment. The word can also mean that. I want you to think about this. Think about mailing a letter. What do you do when you mail a letter, right? You put the message inside, you seal it up, and you put a stamp on it. Why do you put a stamp on it? Because that's going to pay for the travel, right? It's going to get to that destination, right? Imagine this. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. There is a guarantee on you that you will reach your destination, the new heavens and the new earth, Right? That's what the Holy Spirit is. It's a guarantee of that. So the Spirit actually speaks to us of our salvation. And the Spirit does that through God's Word, but also He can do that through Christian community. And so that's another assurance that we do believe. And third, and finally, what does our faith do? And notice, we're getting to our actions at the very end. After we talk about the faithfulness of God, after we talk about the assurance of the Spirit, then there's this idea of faith in action. You see, what faith does, what our belief does, is it leads us into actions. It leads us into deeds. It leads us into work, works, right? It's not just that it works out well for us if we're saved, but our faith actually works itself out well in the world and in the things that we do. This is what John 1, 6, 1 John 1, 6 through 6-7 says. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I know when you read that, you might say, well, what if I sin? Am I, am I not in the light? And actually, it goes on in that chapter to talk about confession of sin. And that's actually a good and godly thing. And the fact that we think about our sin and are shown our sin by God is actually assurance that he's working in our hearts. He's working to make us more and more holy. But if we're walking in the light, that, those deeds are actually also assuring us, which is amazing. 1 John 2, 3 says this, and by this we know we, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So the more that we continue to grow, the more that we continue to keep his commandments, we can actually see that as evidence of God's work in our life. Um, we see this in perspective in 1 Peter, or, or sorry, excuse me, 2 Peter. I have this really long passage in 2 Peter. I'm not going to read the whole thing, okay? But I just want to read verses 5 through 10, okay? And I want you to recognize it's talking about things that are more and more true of believers. It says this, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. What is he saying? He's saying that in the Christian life, these should be more and more true of us as time goes on. It doesn't mean that we're perfect right now. It doesn't mean we wake up tomorrow and say, yeah, I can check all those things off. But over time, our faith is supplemented with virtue and with knowledge, with self-control, with steadfastness, with godliness, with brotherly affection, and with love. And what that does is it shows evidence of our faith, right? It doesn't make us a believer in the sense that like, okay, God doesn't love me because I do a lot of things. No, it's actually evidence that we have the love of God in us already. It confirms it as in it shows it to be true. Going back to that passage in Philippians 2, right? Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, listen to this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So that means you and I and as Christians are meant to be working this out, right? Over time our faith is becoming more and more evident in our deeds. Now, it might be hard for you guys to see because you haven't lived as long as other people in this room, right? Our leaders can attest to this, right? This is not a wake up tomorrow and you've got this solved, but over time there is progress. It's not always even, it's not always steady right but by god's spirit who's in us we're making progress slowly and we can look back and say i'm not the person i was a year ago i'm not the person i was 5 years ago or 10 years ago and that's not up to ourselves but that's up to the work that god is doing in our life you see good works in our life are evidences of a true and a lively faith that's what the westminster catechism talks about or sorry westminster confession talks about that good works in the christian life are evidences of a true and lively faith and and I want to hit this relationship a little bit deeper. So let me explain it this way. Okay. When we do works in the Christian life, we're not working to gain God's love. Hear me say that. We're not working to gain God's love. We're working out of that love. So let me give you an example. So um, the dishes at our household may or may not be done right now. Okay. There may or may not be dishes in the sink. Okay. I don't know if they are. We'll see when I get home. But let's say this. Let's say there are dishes tonight. Okay. Okay. If I go home and I do the dishes, why am I doing them, right? There's two very different answers. One answer is, I'm not taking an answer. Okay. Yes. One answer is this. Well, I want, I want Amy to love me, and if I don't do the dishes, then I'm not sure if she's going to love me, right? I've been married to Amy for over five years. That's not why I do them. It's because I love her and because I know she loves me, and out of that love, I'm working that out. You see that difference, right? And that's what good works are like in the Christian life. We don't do these things to make God love us. But no, because God already loves us, we're motivated to honor him. We're motivated to obey him. We're motivated to listen to him. And so in that way, good works can be evidence of our assurance and evidence of our faith. So we talked about the love, right? Where does that love go back to? That goes back to Christ. The love that Christ has shown us on the cross. Because that's what our faith is all about, that Jesus came and, and gave his own life up for you and gave his own life up for me so that we might come to know him. Because without him, we're lost. Without him, we're sunk. But he has come and sacrificed himself so that you and I might be forgiven, so that our sins might be forgiven, and that we might, more and more we can walk into newness of life. And he's given us his spirit, that same spirit we talked about where our faith comes from, that assures our hearts in him and that helps us to grow day after day after day more like God. So what does this mean for you and I on a day-to-day basis? What does it mean to think about these things and to think about assurance on a day-to-day basis? I want to give us three ideas, right? One is that we're assured in God's word by his spirit, right? If God's spirit inspired this word and the spirit in our hearts helps us and, and testifies to the fact that we're children of God, right? That means his word is powerful in our lives, right? One of the reasons I also printed out this sheet of verses is so that you can keep them. So that you can go home, that you can put them up and realize, hey, God is not going to stop loving me. And God loves me with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love, as the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it. Right? That's how God loves us. And we can memorize a few of these so that when we're really struggling, we can realize, hey, God's not giving up on me. And we can have assurance. We can also read through parts of the Bible. I've quoted in here a lot of passages in 1 John 1 John 5, 13 says that the book was written so that you might have assurance that you have eternal life. So if you're really wondering about that, really thinking about that, that's a great book to read. I'd love to talk with you about it. Um, Also, the discipline of confession is important. We talked about this idea that we're not going to never sin again. But the fact that God shows us our sin and that we confess that to him is actually evidence that we're growing in holiness. Sometimes it can feel like when you see your sin, you say, oh, man, I have a long way to go. But when you see your sin, that's God saying, hey, I'm changing you even now. Here's an opportunity to come back to me. Here's an opportunity to repent. Here's an opportunity to confess. That's why we confess every Sunday morning as a church, both as a church and as a time of silent confession. That's an important part of the Christian life. So we're assured by God's word, by his spirit. But we're also assured by godly deeds like we talked about. And so I want to ask you this. How are you seeking to work out your salvation? What does it look like? How are you seeking to live a godly life? How are you seeking to treat others and treat others well? How are you seeking to grow? When you see that sin, right, where are you going with that? What's happening? And again, this isn't all at once, but this is over time. So think back to a year ago. Think back to two years ago. Think about that progress and realize that God is still working in your life and that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. Also, we're assured with God's people. That's my third point. We're assured with God's people. RYF, this is an important time to get together and learn more about what we believe and and talk about it. Yes, but what's really important is Sunday mornings. When we're with the whole gathering of the church, all of God's people, we get to hear God's word, which is an amazing grace to us, right? We get to greet one another. We get to rejoice with one another. We get to weep with one another. That's what the church is all about. But another important part of Sunday mornings that you might not think about when you think of assurance is when we come to the Lord's table, when we come to communion. Listen up, because what's happening at communion, okay guys, listen up, at communion, what's happening is that we're physically eating bread and wine, but actually by the Holy Spirit that we've already talked about that's in us, that Holy Spirit is actually spiritually feeding us with the grace of Jesus, which is amazing to think about, right? Who Everybody wants to feed on that grace, spiritually speaking, right? When we come to the communion table, that's actually what we're doing, which is amazing, and actually, some people have wondered the question, hey, if somebody doubts, if somebody has doubts, can they come to the communion table? And actually, the answer is yes, because there is grace for you to eat when you're there, right? So that's something we do week after week. We have a pattern of doing it a lot at New St. Peter's, and that's because we need to be nourished by grace. I need that grace. You need that grace. And so we're nourished. We're also assured with God's people. I want to give you three quick stories about different people and their stories of assurance real quick. The first one is Martin Luther. We sang a song by him, a hymn that he had written. And his story goes something like this. He was a monk for a long time, and he really struggled with assurance. One of the reasons why he was a monk was because he wanted to do everything he could to make sure God loved him. And, And back at that time, the Catholic Church said you had to do a lot of things for God to love you, right? And so he was really scared that he was not a Christian. And so he would go in to confess his sins before somebody, and it got so bad that the person he was confessing to would say, hey, come back when you've actually sinned. Come back when you've actually done something. He would want to confess every single thing. He wrote about this period in his life later, and he said this, if a monk could have gotten to heaven by his monkery, it would have been I. All right? That's what he said. But the thing is, he couldn't. Well, what happened? He rediscovered the gospel, that we're saved not by the works we do, but simply by faith in Jesus and by faith in what he's done. And that transformed his life. It led to the Protestant Reformation, which we celebrate in this month, year after year. So that's the first story. The second is much different, somebody much less important, and that would be me. When I was in high school, I went through a period of having a lot of doubts, and I was doing a lot of thinking, and and this question kept coming up in my mind, how do I know I'm saved? But I realized that God showed me this. What I was really asking was can I be a Christian and not know everything? Can I be a Christian and have doubts? And how does God work with that? And by, by talking to godly people, by praying, by studying God's word, I came to the realization that actually when you ask questions and when you doubt and when you go to God's word with those things, that only serves to strengthen your faith more and more. And God uses that to keep growing us. And so that was my experience with this. And I want to give you one last one. And that's the, that's the experience of the thief on the cross. So when Jesus is being crucified, there's a thief next to him. And the thief just says this, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? Does, Jesus doesn't say, what have you done for me lately? What are you doing for me right now? He says this, today you will be with me in paradise. Right? You see, our assurance is rooted in our faith in Jesus, our faith in God who never changes, Our faith comes from the Spirit, and the Spirit actually assures us of that faith more and more as time goes on. And actually, our faith then, because of the love that Christ has shown to us, works itself out more and more day by day in love for others and in love for God. That's what I've got tonight. Does anybody have any questions before I close this in prayer? What questions do you have about these ideas? All right, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, your steadfast love never ceases to amaze us. Lord, would you continue to complete your work in your spirit that you've begun in all of our hearts and minds. Lord, would you help us to know that there are answers in your word. There are answers when we come together as the people of God. Be with those in this room, Lord. Help them wherever they are in their doubts, in the struggles, in the difficult things. Lord, help them to ask questions. Help them to seek answers. Help them to seek you, of them to ask a good question to their parents or to their leaders, even tonight, Lord. Thank you that you never stop and you never let us go. Thank you for the mercy that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for his sacrifice on our behalf. And thank you for new life and hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.